morning, Psalms 45. My heart is stirred by a beautiful song. I say it after the pug is a special song for the king. My tongue is as a skill, as a stylist of an experienced stride. You're the most handsome of all men. You speak in an impressive and fitting manner. For this reason, God grants you continual blessing. Strap your sword to your thigh, O warrior. Appear in majestic splendor. Appear in your majesty and be victorious. Ride forth for the sake of what is right on behalf of justice. Then your right hand will accomplish mighty acts. Your arrows are sharp and penetrate the hearts of the king's enemies. Nations fall at your feet. Your throne, God, is permanent. The center of your kingdom is the center of justice. You love justice and you hate evil. For this reason, your God has anointed you with the oil of joy, elevating you above your companions. All your garments are perfumed with myrrh, aloes, and cassia. From the luxurious palaces comes the music of the string instruments that make you happy. Princesses are among your other guests. Your bride stands at your right hand, wearing jewelry made with gold from over. Listen, old princess, observe and pay attention. Forget your homeland and your family. Then the king will be attracted to or by your beauty. After all, he is your master. Submit to him. Rich people from Tyre will seek your favor by bringing a gift. The princess looks absolutely magnificent, decked out in pearls and clothed in a brocade trimmed with gold. In embroidered robes, she is escorted to the king. Her attendants, the maidens of honor, who follow her are led before you. They are bubbling with joy as they walk in procession and enter the royal palace. Your son will carry home the dynasty of your ancestors. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will proclaim your greatness through the coming years, and then the nations will praise you forever. Oh, mm -hmm.
Thank you. 
Remind 
Oh, man. 
Amen. I want to share uh, an image the Lord gave me that I think uh, as I was driving here, that I think uh, is instructive. He reminded me of a time that I um, I bought a car from a friend in Port Nova, who was a forever friend back in the day. And I bought this Austin Marina, which is a British car, and it wasn't running well. And my friend just wanted to get rid of it. He actually brought it to the shop to have it worked on and to get a tune-up. And um, it, the car actually came back worse. And sometimes with these foreign cars, they get, you, you know, you can spend a lot of money on these cars and he just wanted to get rid of it. So he was going to sell it to me for, um, for 200 bucks. Uh, and I needed a car, and even though it was running really uh, choppy, it would just get from A to B, so I bought the car. Back then, I would buy a car and I'd go into a gas station and say, fill the oil and check the gas. But anyway, it's a bad joke. But um, I got this car for $200, and you know, it was running for blah, 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 blah. And, But you know, after you get it going, you know, after like 40 miles, it would feel pretty good. But an idea came to my head that um, the guy, Kenny, had brought it to the to get a tuna, and maybe they did the tuna wrong, and maybe they put the the wires in the wrong sequence, and there's wires that attach to spark plugs. Now, there's an object to this story. I just want to let you know. I'm just not rambling on here, but there's a, there's really I think the Lord really wants to say something through this. There's wires that go into an engine that fire in a certain, certain sequence, you know, boom, 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 and they make the pistons go in a certain sequence. And if that sequence is off, the, the engine will run in a particular way. So I got this idea, maybe the wires put it in the wrong way. And sure enough, the four and the six wire should have been reversed. And it was a simple one of, of taking these wires and, and re rebooting that. I checked on the uh, owner's manual. Back then, they didn't have Google. And, um, and sure enough, the, the sequence was off. I put it on, and all of a sudden, this Austin Marina is like a race car. And I was off and on. I got a But it was, it was incredibly transformational. So what's the object of this story? The Lord has been showing me, uh, frustrating me at my, I have not been working in the right, you know, I've been sputtering, not working the way that I'm supposed to. And especially this transition from plus negative to plus plus, the Lord has, I feel like he's, he's put more things in my heart. Frustrations of things breaking, leaks, uh, cars breaking down, this money, all these things that are bringing forth these things in my life. They're exposing 
angers, from weak uh, fears, anxieties, all of the frailties of me. And now I know I can, I repent before the Lord. I said, Lord, forgive me for being a knucklehead and uh, for the empty time. But it became obvious that there's something structural in my heart, you understand, that's causing me to react a certain way when heartaches or hardships are coming my way. And I, I really felt like the Lord wanted to. I, I said, Lord, you need to do this deeper work in you. Yeah. And this deeper work, that repentance is something much more than just saying, I'm sorry about it. Humbling yourself is good, acknowledging your sins, confessing your sins. But there's something more about repentance, about coming into God that that He really wants to transform. And then, in uh, Romans 12, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed to the renewing of your mind that you may know what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now what's interesting, I looked at transform, and that word is the same word as transfiguration. So it's not that just that we'll, you know, try to think in, in, in a purposeful way. Don't be angry, don't be fearful, don't don't, don't. Now there's a transformation, a transfiguration of the mind that God wants to do structurally within not only our mind but our hearts, even the infrastructure of our soul. So I want you to look up, go into Strong's Consortium, look at all the other speakers that are talking about being transformed, being transfigured. And there's something much deeper than just humbling ourselves and feeling bad and, you know, trying to work out shame and guilt out of our lives. There's something much deeper and transformative that God wants to do. And I would suggest to you that the Lord, and during this time period, I was like, I got to the point where like, Lord, I can't do, I can't talk, I can't. Go to a free lunch. I actually couldn't even go to an event that was free, and I got I messed it up. I mean, it was like I, I was screwing up. So I just had to stop and say, God, you do the work in me. I don't know what you're doing, but I want you to do that. What is that small? I'm allowing God to take the wiring within me, the infrastructure within me, take those wires, pull them out. What happens when you pull out the wires, Tom, and you try to stop the car? Nothing. You're not going nowhere. At least I could get around in my old plus negative self, right? But now I can go nowhere because I'm like, I'm just lying, you know, I'm like lying on my bed saying, okay, I'll just wait, but you want me to talk? Come on, you do it. So you may be feeling worse than better with this, this message of plus plus, and that should be normal because God wants to say, hey, you're gonna allow me to disengage you so you can't just sputter around and you know, get to the next point. So we're disengaged. And then we're saying, Lord, you transform, you transfigure, and you put the wires in the right place.
Yeah. And the Lord said, I'm going to take the broken, the humble, and the weak. And I'm going to pour out my spirit. And I'm going to transfigure you that you can move and accelerate like you've never done before. Not in your old strength, but the way of the Lord past. Yeah. But by my spirit, say the Lord. Yeah. The power of the Lord is coming. There's an acceleration that is going to happen. And we have to be weaker than ever before. We have to be unburdened by our sin, allowing the Lord not only to wash and cleanse us on the outside, but deep within the core of our environment and what makes us respond and accelerate the way we do. Praise God. Complete shutdown, complete meltdown. 
because uh, you come so far with him and you're like, I've traveled so far with you. Why would now I trust you in this place? <laughs> he wants to put the wires back right so he can empower us. He's not. He is a good father. Yeah. You will see a movement awake. Because yeah. yeah. the Lord is going to do this. And I said, well, I said, well, if you run everybody out of the room, what can we do about that? He said, well, I can turn the power up stronger so I can switch their consciousness in the room. And I said, all right, if it'll come, turn the power up and then allow the subconsciousness of the mind to be transfigured within the environment of your spirit and get enough of us that get repaired, restored, and then you get a movement. And this is so glorious where this is going. Yeah. Oh, Don't look at what your eyes see or what your ears heard in the natural ministry. The eternal God is having his way. And if he could just have his full way, what would he do? Amen. 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 Um, yes, Kevin. I just felt the same confirmation. I know I have just told me recalibrate, recalibrate. Like, um, you know, when you recalibrate scales, they just they got to go down to zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're down to nothing. And then, it's like, I'm not even taking you back to what you think was some glorious moment in the past. It's recalibrate to a new man. Yes. A new man in uh, Kelly said, if you didn't hear, she, she said the worst statement as to recalibration and, and not from what we've been through, experience with him in the past, but complete recalibration. To bring to zero, to bring forth the new man in us. So she said, when you see a scale that's not calibrated, right, you don't see truth. Um, but when he brings us to authenticity and integrity, a whole truth, the very truth of God that's in us. I am in you instead of I in you, but I am in you. This is the truth. Mm -hmm. Why am I? I am one. <laughs> the Institute of Men Young, or the Institute of Man Child, Revelation chapter number 12. I brought out the uh, baskets this morning because um, we, most of the time, whatever we take up in this. In, in this time, we we give to, uh, for the most part, we give to the um, to man who's downstairs, and uh, just to bless him because he comes here uh, and opens up for us. And so, I, when we take a donation today, um, if you have a few dollars or whatever, and you want to give uh, to this, we're going to give this. And then also, there he asked me last week. They're raising money for. Uh, jackets for the poor 
And so if you want to give some cash this morning, we'll want to take that cash to him. Uh, if you have some cash you want to give this morning, want to take that to him to bless, uh, you know, what they're doing for the poor. They've got jacket rack down there. You're buying brand new jackets through YMI. And so, Lord, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity to uh, bless our city as an outreach in, through the YMI. Lord, I thank you for Theodore, also known as man for his love that's been extended to us for this whole season that we've been here and how he's just been so um, giving of himself. I pray you bless him, bless his family, bless his extended family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bless you as you give. Oh, come on, come Chapter 1. 
The Lord told me this week, I was a Thursday morning. He said, today you'll bring forth the magnum opus. Welcome to the last in the series of Transfiguration AD number seven. And I, I had to look up the word magnum opus. Oh, it was in Charlotte's Web, my great magnum opus. So today will be the magnum opus of, uh, and it, it, it means a great work um, to be in literature, poetry, uh, different types of the arts. And I'm sure it could be possibly in, you know, uh, the sciences fields. Uh, today, I, I would joy to present the Lord's word to you. And, and also, I am excited because you know, many, many are actually tuning into our podcast, even multinationally. And so there's this, this word it is going out and it's breaking forth. And I think it's probably, I, I know for sure, probably more than 70 to 100 nations right now. And it's, um, it's just a wonderful experience with a father to be able to express what he is saying in this end time. And, uh, but even beyond the end time to be actually his son and to be in the company of the sons and the daughters of the father, which are you and which are many that will hear this message that will be proclaimed, Matthew 24, 14. That we wouldn't just have a doctrine that we wouldn't just have a disposition, that we wouldn't just have a position or a perspective, a program, a persona, a problem. In this hour, there would be the presentation of the person of the very Son of God. And the gospel of this kingdom will be preached in all the earth. And then, and only then, the end will come. Hebrews chapter one, after God spoke long ago, I would suggest to you that long ago is not just in time, but even outside of time, that God had spoke. And what God says, he will see. He always says something and sees it. So God spoke long ago in various different portions. I tend to think of this like the extrapolation of light. That in light that we perceive that comes out of the darkness, that God is light, that he speaks out of light because God is. And there is no variable or shadow of turning in him. James chapter one, verse 17 that there was an extrapolation of light or what Hebrews 1 says, various portions. There are various different expressions or camps or prophetic utterances that have come forward to extrapolate light. It was fragmentary, fragmented or even partial. And it reminds you maybe of Corinthians chapter 13, right towards the end, the fragmented light. We see through a glass what? Dimly, we've seen through something to something, but it's been dim. Our consciousness has been colluded. 
But we have not been able to see through. So it's been fragmentary or partial in comparison to the final and complete, not just revelation, but a person. The completeness of the revelation, I believe it's Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, he says, I have come to, I am not the law, Moses, I am not the prophet, Elijah, even John the Baptist, if you can take that, they are the very fulfillment of me. Many different occasions or time, many different extrapolations. But the all, all incompassible. In various ways, the, the all incompassing, the, the fullness, the, uh, how do we say this? The in Greek, the play Roma. Hey, listen, if you don't understand me, don't worry about it. I have a message from the Lord. I've been sent by him as his son to proclaim something to the very ends of the earth. That the fullness of sonship, the fullness of who he is, his son, is coming beyond, beyond anything we've ever seen is coming to the earth. Through the glorified or the preparatory work that he is doing in the earth to prepare us as sons and daughters like never before, even in, as it's been spoken in the past. But now, now, in these last days, he has spoken to us, verse 2, in a son whom he's appointed the heir of all things. He uh, inherits everything that he creates. He's created the world and he fashioned it because the thing about sonship is God will go about the business of having you fashion something before you govern it. Sonship is twofold like that. It requires a fashioning and then a governing. So you see that in the text here. The son is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. And so when he accomplished the cleansing for sins, Jesus who sat seated at the right hand of the Father right now has already, he's finished it. He had, he's seated at the right hand of God right now, finished and dealt with all the sin. He's dealt with it. He's accomplished the cleansing of sin. Now, why is the writer of Hebrews start out with the magnum opus before he unleashes Hebrews on us? Because it's all right here in Hebrews chapter 1. He's going to basically take the condensed version of Hebrews 1 and extrapolate it through Hebrews. He's going to present the greatness of what he's done right here. He sits down at the right hand of the Father. I like this. The majesty, the magisterium, the majestic one. He's on high. He's inherited a name that's above every name that can be named. And is superior even to the angelic order. 
our ancestors, the prophetic voice and the, the way in which the church has operated up even to this point. And the view or the perspective has been washed out theologically. Has been based in a, a perspective that what we are announcing here from the Father, the plus negative. What is the plus negative? Let me rehearse this with you. The plus negative is two things. And let's look at the plus negative with two individuals within human history that were some of the was one of the greatest two of the greatest men ever born. The first plus negative I want to present this morning is Moses. And I want you to see this with me in Hebrews chapter number three. Hebrews 3, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partakers in a heavenly calling, take note of Jesus. He's the apostle and the high priest whom we confess and who is faithful to the one who appointed him as Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus and Moses were both faithful. It's not a question of their faithfulness. Okay. Let this be juxtaposed or compared and contrasted to those who are unfaithful. Moses was a faithful man. Moses sought for the glory of God. Moses led Israel out of Egypt. Moses, Moses was one of the was the meekest man on the face of the planet. But I want you to hear what the author of Hebrews says about Moses. Moses is said, for he has come, speaking of Jesus, to deserve greater glory than Moses. And just as the builder of the house deserves greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house. Every different room in God's house. You know, there's different rooms in the house of the Lord, in the mansion of God. There's all different kind of spaces. You have the kitchen, you have the living room, you have the bedroom, you have the kids' bedrooms, you've got the foyer, you've got the study in some houses. You got the port cochet. You got the you got the uh, mother-in-law suite. Moses was faithful in every one of those. He was faithful in the whole entire dimension of the house. When I was in the Air Force, uh, as an officer, after I was commissioned and I would have finished my uh, winging, which I did not. But a lot of us military officers, what the way they do this to get the golden boy, because the golden boy, the golden boy in the house of the squadron that I was coming up in has to prove himself in every department. And in the squadron I was in operation, I was an operation squadron, or I was going into one with the wing, I was going in the fourth fighter wing for the Air Force. And then I was going to possibly be deployed out of that wing. One of the things they do with a junior officer like myself 
Desire to prove, you have to prove yourself in different uh, de departments. And we had like uh, weapons and tactics. And so you're basically the go-to guy on weapons and tactics. And those guys, they, you have to go get in a vault. And you study like weapons books that are like probably this high in pages and documents. You have to know your weapons and tactics cold. Someone comes and asks you a weapon and tactics question, you gotta be like, that's GBU 87 and it employs like this. And uh, this is the trajectory and the loft of the, that particular ordinance. And uh, okay, Lieutenant Moffat, could you tell me about uh, GBU 65? Yeah. Uh, can you tell me how the armament sections on the aircraft? Yep, you got to know all weapons and tactics, but once you are proficient in that, they move you to scheduling. That's the one I, I never wanted to be in. It just seemed like a, what we call pointy noses in the Air Force, but it just seemed like a pencil pusher. I don't want to be pencil pusher, I'm weapons and tactics. Or, and all of us, we go sit in the seat and fly the, air, the aircraft. So it was all these different departments, but what they were after was, can we find a golden boy? That's what we called him. The golden child of the squadron. Y'all read anything in scripture about that? About Woodhay Stubble? But, you know, an honorable use? Well, they'd be scanning the, the uh, commander, squadron commander, and even the wing commander, they'd start talking about the new guys coming into the into in there you know we're all in our early 20s at this time uh you know hey you notice moffat over there i mean he knows that weapons and tactics cold yeah put him in schedule and see how he acts <laughs> yeah. uh now take him over to another uh safety flight safety yeah i want to be safe i want to be i'm a warrior i just want flight safety stuff put the thing in the ground and pull it you know you know, I don't want flight safety. I want to see if I can crash the thing or do something extreme. You know, I don't want to be in flight safety. Yeah, it needs a little bit safety protocols. I don't know all the flight safety parameters. You understand? There's so many people that want to get into a column, but they don't realize all the depth that's in the house. The squadron commander's looking for the golden boy. What was the golden boy? We had it. This was an E3, or excuse me, O3, or an O3E, which is what I was, I was because I was prior enlisted. I actually was going to fly the aircraft that I worked on, which was highly unusual. I knew that aircraft inside and out, but I was going to also fly that aircraft as a weapon system officer. And they would give the O3 command orders that the colonel would have. He was called the XO. Well, in the Air Force, in the Navy, they call him an XO, in the Air Force, we call him the executive officer. He was given executive command authority, even over the O4s, because the O5 was the squadron commander, and the O6 is the wing commander, or an O7, which was a general, that he would be given um, qualification to actually if the commander, the O5, was out of the house, the O3 was in charge of everybody. And that was only given to the one who was faithful in the house. In all the house. That was a big deal, man. Everybody's like, I'll never be the golden boy. <laughs> Those guys are amazing. Let me just say, 
They're sharp on everything. They don't miss anything. They're the sharp. I work with some of the sharpest people. I mean, and very arrogant, by the way. Not necessarily humble. Some of them were humble, though. But when we're talking about Moses being faithful in all God's house, he was also known as a servant. He was to testify things that would be spoken. Now, another translation said that he was prophesying the revelation of that which was to come. This guy's amazing, man. And I can't highlight Moses enough. He's leading like a, you know, a two million person church. I mean, he's, he's an incredible person. But when the scripture here begins to juxtapose Moses, he's put him in, in the plus negative category. What did Moses say about himself? He's the meekest man on the face of the planet. His son kind of sounds like what well, we're here later on the Baptists say, who Jesus will say, if you can take it, he's Elijah. He's going to say something in John 3.30. He must increase what? Plus negative, I must decrease. Now, wait a minute. Moses is saying something really similar. There's no one more meek. You know who wrote that? Moses did. Do you know that he was telling the truth? There was another man more meek than him during his time on the face of the planet. He was the meekest. He was the most decreased man. Now, if that... Does it get your attention somewhat? I know not everyone here can relate to squadron command or even wing command. Because you know what happens to that golden boy? The servant in the house who's plus negative, they run him right up the rank. He's going to be more than likely a four star. The golden boy is the guy they're picking out to make a pause possibly on the Joint Chiefs of Staff one day. Because they're looking, they're scanning. Can we find one who has all the qualifications and faithfulness in the house? It's going to be a four-star, possibly a theater guy, five-star one day, which is over every armed force, a five-star. Four-star, run up to the Joint Chiefs, possibly five-star. This guy has theater command over every armed force. How do I do this, Father? Transfiguration, ascension, descension. Matthew chapter 17. Who's there? Moses and Elijah. You got the guy that was completely faithful in the house. You got the other guy that's taken up in a chariot. You got this guy buried on Mount Nebo by God himself because he struck something. The rock. You've heard me say this a lot. He wasn't, Moses wasn't quite ready to go blank slate. He was taking a revelation of the past and using it to bring him into the future. And I'm going to tell you something. A, a son can never do that. Why? The superiority of the son is like this. I don't call me good. There's no one good but the Father. The superiority of the Son in juxtaposition to Moses and Elijah is this. I only do 
No, no, no. I sometimes do. That's where the rewiring has to come. I think I'll do. I don't want to do. <laughs> the superiority of the Son is I only do. Or I do nothing except what I see my Father doing. Wait a minute. Well, you're going to have to see what he's doing if you're going to only do what he does. And you've heard me say this, the sheep hear, but king see. Wait a minute, Carol. And I want to suggest to you that a four-star, even five-star general is not a king. When you think God's trying to produce in you, the Lord doesn't want you to be a four or five star general. They hear about the generals of the church. I was like, don't call me a general of the church. I don't want to be a general of the church. I want to be a priest who governs. To be honest with you, I don't want to be a servant in the house. I don't even want this mind to be in me. I don't want to be Elijah caught up into a chariot or Moses buried on Mount Nebo. I want to be transfigured. Oh, man. <laughs> I want to be like him. I'm tired of playing games. God's tired of playing games. Or doesn't want you playing games. He wants to build a story. Listen, Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. We are of this house. If we in fact hold firmly to our confidence and the hope we take pride in. You may share with you what is working against you all the time. To take your confidence from you and your hope. You know why you go into despair and I've been in despair. You know why? Because something's trying to come and steal the confidence that God has placed in you. Something is challenging you in your present position perspective. Trying to get you to change the firmness of the hope and confidence that is for you, in you, if you are of this house. Wants to move you off point. Get your eyes on something else. And so, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I've preached this enough times and it, it's coming out, but, but remember... This again, for the law possesses a shadow of the good things to come, but not the reality itself. And it is therefore completely unable by the same sacrifices offered continually year after year to perfect those that come into worship. For otherwise would they not, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers would have been purified once and for all. So that they would have no more consciousness of sin. Austin and Juliana sat on our couch apart from us yesterday and, and you should listen to them. You hear what's going on with them. It's amazing. 
Austin was saying, you know, this consciousness of sin thing, I, I, I want to ask some questions and let's work through this. He said, you know what's happening to me and my wife and what's happening to us? I said, what? He said, we're forgetting. Austin's been a long time with Lyme's disease laid on a bed. It was eight years. I think it's what you said, right? He said, I'm starting to forget. I even have Lyme's disease. You know why? He said he's getting a God consciousness. Uh, I'm starting to forget that I, I don't even know where we're going to get our next uh, resource to buy groceries or to pay the bills. I'm forgetting. Is that okay? <laughs> yes. 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 I'm forgetting the social pressure that's around me all the time is trying to tell me, mask up, don't mask up. I'm starting to forget what people think about me. I'm starting to become more and more and less and less. I'm becoming less and less self-aware. It's like my whole entire being is beginning to meditate on him. I'm beginning to behold him all the time. Juliana says, you know, in America, we can't do this. You know, America says you can't live like this. You're being complacent. Uh, you're not engaging in what you're supposed to do every day. You're, you're supposed to be doing something, aren't you? She's like, America is, uh, I'm paraphrasing her, but ventilated their tactics against us and said, you've got to be doing something to exist or to be productive. This thing of doing nothing except what I see my father doing, well, for them, it, it's fueling some kind of affection and drive and excitement and joy. And God is taking care of them. Well, Matthew 5, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Well, I don't want to have a I consciousness. I want to have a God consciousness. I'm tired of I in me. I want I am in me. I want to behold him so that I may become like him. But I see him as he is. And I see him seeing me seeing him. And I become satisfied. We're the most satisfied in him. When he's glorified in us. Now light begins to take care of divorce and debt and depression and disease. Wrong place desire. Because my eyes are beholding him. He's beholding me. And now I know that he sees me. Seeing him. Seeing me. Seeing him. And the exchange goes backward and forth and back and forth. So much objective truth coming out of the heavens is more powerful. It's pervading my consciousness. Telling me something different about who I am. Or why I am. What he said, I, I don't. Those sacrifices are year a year, year after year. And the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins. When he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But a body you prepared for me. <laughs> so what? Scared of living daylights out of me when the word told me that a couple weeks ago on Thursday prayer meeting. So what? You know what I mean, son? Sacrifice and offering. So 
What? What is all it is? I said, I don't say that. You won't get any volunteers in the church sacrifice, and you won't get any offerings. Offerings. He said, that's not what I desire. I said, oh, no, Lord. He's like, what? You want one kilogram of coal or you want one kilogram of uranium? It's three million times more powerful. The church is playing with this games with the Lord. They're actually trying to be really good servants in the house. They're trying to climb ladders. Even in the fivefold ministry, I'm saying out loud, even the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist, pastor, teacher, is laying in the servanthood of the house. They're forgetting the glory of what we've been called to to be found in Him. He doesn't say in Ephesians 4, you have the fivefold ministry so we can worship the fivefold ministry. He said, to, until you come to the fullness of the knowledge of Him, to perfection. I mean, the Lord's goal on that fivefold ministry was not the fivefold ministry. He was there. We are a gift to men, but we are not Him until He gets in us. And I, you know, He told me He's like, preach the message, the post fivefold. Me, I am in you. I like, I don't care what anybody calls you. I have a lot of people say, "Oh, you're an apostle." I don't care. I'm Carol. I'm beginning to like me. <laughs> I like to be better that way as the father's son. I'd much rather be the father's son than an apostle. So what if you can lay out all the brilliant exegesis? Okay, so what? So what? I don't delight in that, says the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't understand. He said, say this today, because it's going to go out of the light. Say it. And I said, all right, I'll say it. He said, at the cross, I was prophet, priest, judge, and king. And I said, oh, that's good, Lord. He said, well, I want you to tie up all the eschatology. What is eschatology? End time events. And what's going to happen in the transition to the end of the age and even on into the millennial reign. And I said, okay, I'll tie it up. He said, okay. He said eschatology, even the most brilliant eschatology is still servant in the house. I was like, oh, oh they're going to hate me, Lord. They're going to all hate me. I'm going to say it though. He said the allegorical approach is your prophetic. He said the uh, mill approach is your priestly. He's like, your post mill is the judge and your pre mill is the king. He's like, uh, I died on the cross. I was resurrected and ascended. I'm a person too. <laughs> Kara says this in our family law objection. I'm a person too. You know, you know, being in a family, you know, sometimes a mama gets a brown in so much. You know. I'm a person. I hear her as uh, his younger sister saying what he's saying. I'm a person. Stop trying to make me a position. Stop trying to get a perspective. Stop trying to stop trying to build a program out of me. I'm a person too. Oh, I'm God in the flesh. I said, "Oh Lord, I, 
And I, if you've studied eschatology, you, there's whole ministries built around what I'm saying this morning. They're going to be mad at me. They'll take all their justification away. And you know what? You know what I'm going to say is what the word says. So what? Because that's not what he's after. That's the revelation of who he is. But that's not him. You're still a servant in the house, even if you can brilliantly exegete and give an eschatological position allegorically. All mill, post-mill, pre-mill. Preposta. Yeah, there you go. Preposta with a double A. You don't know what I'm saying. Some of you do. Many people are going to hear this message, though. They're going to hear that eschatology is not him. The revelation is a revelation of him, but it's not him. Do you see the difference? I couldn't understand it, so I'm going to give y'all something that happened to me last Sunday. Saturday night, go to bed, wake up. Sunday morning, I will not wake up, I'm in a dream. I don't have a lot of spiritual dreams, but when I do, I know they're spiritual. You know what I mean? I'm in a dream. I'm with this other guy. He's a Marine. He's the younger brother to the older brother. The older brother, he's mourning the older brother. And uh, we're like in a field somewhere and there's this big truck and it's like a flatbed truck. And on the back of the truck, truck is this aluminum box. It's about seven feet long by three feet wide. And um. And I'm going with him to view his older brother. And uh, so it's this aluminum casket. It's like a war-based casket. It's not, you know, nice and wood and all that stuff, just aluminum. Uh, it's just like split in half. And they just take the top part, it's about a foot high and then a you know, foot or so underneath. They take that and they lay the top off into the side. And I look and I'm like, now that's a dude right there if I've ever seen one. And I'm like looking at him and he's got a Marine uniform. And I, I mean, this guy, man, he's got like shoulders, like his broad chest is pushing up out of his jacket. I mean, you can tell the arms are stretched out. His whole entire uniform, his legs are popped. I mean, this guy, I look at him, I'm like, that's got to be the most perfect face I've ever seen. He's probably 30 to 33 years old, 35, somewhere in there. Looking at him, I was like, I don't see any battle scars. I don't see any wounds. I see no blood. I see a perfect complexion. I'm like, why is he mourning this guy? This guy's basically almost alive. And I say to myself, that, that's got to be the perfect specimen of a man. That's the most manliest man I've ever seen. And I know this by the spirit of a dream. I don't know how, but behind his eyes, his eyes are, you know, closed. But I know that they're like sapphire blue with a light that comes out of them. And I know he needs to be woke up. He's... He's not exactly dead. He's just not alive. I wake up from the dream. I was like, Lord, what is that about? He said, well, I wanted you to see what you look like. 
and your glorified body. I was like, I don't know, for me, all the image issues I've had since I can remember tearing the patch off the back of my pants in kindergarten or first grade because mom and dad bought me these pants and they weren't designer. I don't remember what type they were. What type were they? Sears and Roebuck. What? Double knee patches, Sears and Roebuck. And I remember we were in a line to get our pictures made. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was five or six years old. And I took that patch and ripped it off the back of my pants because in that day, you wore Lee pants. And I didn't have on Lee pants. And I was somehow out of fashion. In my whole entire life, I've had an issue with image. My whole life. It's like something about me never equated to who I was. And I couldn't figure it out. I haven't been able to figure it out until last Sunday. I said, no wonder I've got an issue. That's what I look like. <laughs> this guy, wait till you see him. Hey, wait till you see you. <laughs> I've never seen a figure so regal and warrior-like. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's the right image. That's the one that's been imprinted on my consciousness. Because Job 38, chapter 6 and 7, the sons of God, they were shouting for joy while the morning stars sang together. Yes. Oh, I knew and I know I am his son. I can't tell you how meaningful that is to me. And I don't care if anybody laughs at me. I don't care anymore. I saw through the bell and I said, Lord, why is it taking me so long to see that guy? I kind of probably be content with myself. You know, I'm okay. You know, Carol married me. I must be okay. And why, why my whole life has this been a problem? And why now? He said, when you lose your life for my sake of the gospel, you'll find it. I was like, who knows who you are? Who knows why, why something doesn't add up with you all the time? Who knows why you were trying to be something and it kept on running up against a wall? You kept hitting a wall because you knew that you were made for something so much more. Who knew why plus negative that the Father would never agree with plus negative in your life? He wanted you to say, Father, glorify me so that I might give glory to you. He wanted you to see rightly, not through the dimness and not through reflection. Jeff Manning, I called him, I told him what happened. He said, Carol, I think you found the cure for MPD. And I said, what's that? He said, narcissistic personality disorder. He said, instead of looking at your reflection and falling in the water because your beauty is so amazing and drowning yourself to death, you just look through the water. You look through the expanse. You look through to another dimensional place where you actually are a body that he desires. What does the text say? Hebrews chapter 10. But a body. I was so glad to give up sacrifice and offering and the so what? I'm so glad to give up the plus negative because a body is what he wanted. A glorified one. He didn't go to the cross and 
do some kind of partial thing for us. He went to the cross because we as the sons and daughters were with him in this body so he could demonstrate to the powers of the air what the blood of Jesus had purchased at Calvary and liberate us into who we really are in him. Oh, man. God's looking for a total recall. The Lord's wanting to bring you into a recall or a mem. The, the last letter we finished up in the Hebrew that we're in and we're moved into the nun now. He's putting the character of the letters back into us. And he's like, we finish up the mem. Well, we were in a prayer meeting, Thursday prayer meeting. He said, did you notice this? And he puts the 22 letters together. He said, did you see what's spelled right in the center of the 22 letters? I'm like, no. He said, look at it. It's Mim, Abed, Kof, Yo. And I said, right in the 22 letters, number 10 and 11, Yo and Kof, number 12 and 13, Lamed and Mim. Well, when you look at that backwards, you know what it spells? Melech. And you know what a Melech is? King. Right in the center of the 22 letters, God placed kingship. Melech, Lamed, Kav, Yo, Melech, Eve. Maybe Milky. Way. <laughs> Actually, when you, he, he showed me and turned Melchizedek up on his hand, twist all the letters, and it basically said Milky Way. Uh, it was like a thing, you know, like twist, twist that one, turn this one, everything, and it said Milky Way. I said, wow. It's the order of God. Um, it's like, he said, you just finished up that. And um, I wrote a review. It's called Passing Review. I just wrote this up for a collider because of, and, and I've sent it out to, I think, everybody. If you don't have it, you can look at it. It's the last 25 weeks of this ministry. Yes, it's personal, but it is where we're headed because the Lord told me if you can get into this, I can impart it into other people. And I was like, I want to get into whatever you are because I want an impartate, a real impartation of royal priesthood to come into your people. Yeah. So much of the church hadn't even got in through the phases of the southern kingdom, much less the northern kingdom's letters. Just as a little side, I just want you to know the vaccine that's being presented is to corrupt the RNA, the expression. Because God wants to put the letters into man, the character of the letters to form words, that they become flesh and that we dwell and we come into a resting place with God. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Because he wants this word, the living word, the letter, the character of the letters to be installed back into us. Why? So that a proper expression of who he is flows through us. God has a language. And he built the human being off that language called the Hebrew language. He's reinstating the language and he's going to prophetically bring this out of this end time through the sons and daughters. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. It's the language of heaven coming into the earth. Even the place from which, uh, not this platform, but the place of the person from which I speak to you today is to transmit Melech, Laman, Kaf, Yod. And all the way back. And as these letters turn, as we turn into the next letters, now the Lord will begin 
the season of power. As he said, pray this prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And at the very end, he says, the kingdom, the what, and the what? The power and the glory forever. Amen. God's going to bring power where he has a ruling class. The Lord does not want to give power to a servant plus negative class. He's not going to do it. You know why? Because if he puts power on plus negative, you know what you're going to transmit? Plus negative. And you know what that's going to do to God's people? He's going to tell them, get into more sacrifice and more offerings. When the Lord wanted a glorified body, he had something so much more in mind when he created you. Then to click your tithe and offering and to sacrifice and volunteer yourself, he had so much more in mind, he wanted you. <laughs> and he wanted the glorified version of you. You know, someone said, oh, Carol, just accept yourself. No! <laughs> I've already did that acceptance thing. It doesn't work. It just makes me feel bad. And I don't like feeling bad. I like being filled with joy. Well, do that arrogance thing. I've done that one. And a lot of people did not like that guy, especially my wife. <laughs> she don't even like the, the other guy either. It's like, get up, get up. We're <laughs> acting like that. What? Don't be a wimpy, scrimpy, and don't think you're somebody. I'm like, where, where else do I go? Look at the Lord. <laughs> don't get into acceptance and arrogance. Some people with the MPD problem, and then you got the dissociative identity disorder on the other side. They disassociate, and this one's like, I'm amazing. Look at me. <laughs> and the other one's like, nothing. And I have a split person on. And he's like, stop. Stop it. Look at me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold me. Not acceptance, not arrogance. But him, Christ in you, what? The hope of what? Glory. Well, I get down with the men. That's a really cool story. I'll probably tell it on an explanation podcast. They're called the X series. But I, I want to move right now into, I get up Monday morning after last Sunday and I said, oh man, is this really real? I know. Because if this is reality, man, I'm into this. But I mean, I was asking the word, I was like, this can't be real. That guy can't be real. I'm like, is this really real? Like, because I can't tell the whole story, but our family goes through hell week from transit figuration 85 to 6. It was like every demon under every rock came to attack our family the whole week. I was like, man, I'm up here like saying, this is the most amazing thing I did. The Lord said, well, when you come to a new place, uh, you have to get the enemy underneath your feet, i.e. take your shoes off last week. Uh, I was like, okay, because Hebrews 10 said all of the enemies of the Lord are under his feet. And Kara said, are they in your shoes? <laughs> if they are. <laughs> and Tom Gross says, if your eye offends you, the eye, pluck it out. <laughs> get the eye out. And um, I'm coming up to uh, Monday morning and uh, this last week, 
And I got to tell you now, this book is amazing, conforming to the image of his son. And I look down, and I'm starting into, finally getting into, I think it was chapter two. Maybe it's, no, it's still chapter one. It's so amazing, I can't hardly get off page uh, seven. It's so amazing. And, um, and I look down, and uh, it says, um, Corinthians 15, 49. So let me take a little, a little time with, uh, and it won't take much more of your time with this, but you know, being the magnum opus and all, I might take a little bit more of your time. But 1549, and I look down and um, let's look at uh, this man of the dust is out in real trouble. Okay, let's look at verse 43. Well, 42. It is the same of the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is raised? Ascension. What is raised? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in what? Glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in what? Power. Let your eyes be open to a whole new, like revelation of scripture or an understanding. It is sown a natural body. There is also what? A spiritual body. I don't know about Carol's dream. It's right there in the text. There is a spiritual body. Now it's not just your soul. Your soul's going to feel your spiritual body. Once it's completely restored, it's going to feel the spiritual body. That amazing spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living person. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual did not come first. What came first? Except you be born again, Nicodemus. What? I can't be born twice. Can't go through my mother's womb again. I'm a grown man. Except you be born again, you cannot see. You must be born. You're born, and then you're born natural, and then the spiritual. Jesus says to Nicodemus, right? You got to know your Bible now, folks. John 3. Hey, I can't even tell you what heavenly things because you're so caught up into the earthly external dimension. I can't even talk to you. I'm trying to tell, this is what's going on today. I can't tell you anything because you're so caught up into the external instead of the eternal. I said, Lord, you're going to run them all out of the room. They're going to say, who is that cosmonaut? I was like, more like Clastronaut. A rejoicing son born out of the heavens. I don't understand that. So life-giving spirit, the spiritual didn't come first and natural. You're born natural. And then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth. He's made of dust. The second man is where? From heaven. Okay, I'm going through the expanse. Where is he at? He's from heaven. He's the second man. Well, this is speaking of Jesus, right? We'll look at the text. Like the one made of dust, so too are those made of dust. Well, Jesus is not of those. So we, he's speaking to the natural body us, those made of dust. 
those who are heavenly. But what is it that Jesus, no, Jesus is the second Adam. This those there is you <laughs> and everyone else that is his. And just as we born, watch the text, born the image of the man of dust. Oh, I love this. Let us bear. Children are born, sons are given. Children are born, sons are given. Isaiah chapter 9. Behold unto us, a child is born. A son has been given. And the government shall be upon his what? Shoulders. He will bear the government of God. You must. Yes, you may be born naturally. But when you come into bearing the image of heaven, you come into the government of God. Because why? Because you're royal. You're of a royal priesthood. You're of a holy nation. You're of a royal bloodline. You are to bear that image. That's what's freaking me out all week after Transfiguration 85. Demons are coming to contest. That is not true. Look at your human condition. You don't have any money, which was true that week. I think it was $100 for eight people for the whole week. It's stressing me out. I have no money. Thank you to the McManuses. But the house you live in is not yours. You have no home. A few years ago, John Harris met with me and he says, I don't even know why I'll meet with you. You don't have hardly anybody show up to your events. You have no money. And you're, it doesn't seem like you're going anywhere, but I love hanging out with you because it's like the Lord's here. <laughs> and he said, that's a compliment, by the way, Carol. I said, don't feel like one. You must bear it. But his yoke is easy, his burden is what? Oh man, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. This hour is shifting. Why? Because the government shall be upon his shoulders in you. I am in you. Right? You see the difference? I see the image across the heavenly expanse. He says, bear that image. I said, He's a different kind of fella because not only did I see him, I could feel his persona in the dream. That guy wasn't trying to convince anybody of anything. I said, man, I've been going around convincing everybody. He said, be somebody. Let me be, let this mind be in you. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is a dude right there. I mean, he don't have to convince anybody, get anything done. He don't care how much this or that or whatever. He is who he is. He's not to be trifled with, not to be played with, but he is also highly loyal, highly courageous, and extremely loving. I was like, that guy, he says, uh, when you're driving around and doing things, let start to take on his persona. I was like, yes, Lord. So, so like the one made of dust, so two are we made of dust. And like the one made from heaven, so too those made from heaven. Listen, I'm not 
Be patient with me. And just as we born the image of the man of heaven, let us bear the, or excuse me, of dust, let us bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Why is he having to say that? Why is he saying this is what I'm saying again? <laughs> you ever talk to somebody? Like, I'm trying to say something to you. Like, you can't hear me. Like, this is what I'm saying. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You need a glorified body. Your body can't inherit this, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. They say that's what the apostolic ministry is for, is to bring forth the mysteries of God. This is a mystery. I tell you a mystery. Hey, listen now, we will not all sleep. There's a generation that will not see death. Not everybody's going to fall asleep. What is that, 2 Thessalonians 4? Is it 1 Thessalonians 4, you know? Not everybody's going to fall asleep, everybody. <laughs> we will not all fall asleep, but we will be changed in the moment, in the blinking of an eye. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. They'll be changed imperishable and we will be changed. You know what's going to happen? going to be raised and then all of a sudden yeah just going to be like finally in the right body the perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality now when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then the same will happen death you've been swallowed up in victory where all death is your victory. Where all death is your sting. The sting of death is sin. What is sin? So what? It's consciousness. Sin consciousness. In an amillennial kind of way. Amillennial. Present tense. Relational transformation within yourself. Now I believe in this hour. God is raising up. Sons and daughters. That will proclaim this out of a place of losing their sin consciousness to the earth before they even get to put on immortality. I feel like one of those people. You might, I don't know what you mean, Carol. I mean, there's a plus plus message. I'm like, man, I'm ready to go for immortality right now. <laughs> like, let's pop this bubble. Let's get this thing over with. Well, well. Feeling good. The plus plus is good. He said, well, I'm going to bring some glory and demonstrate some powers of the air, my glory through my sons and daughters. And I want to give all my other sons and daughters this and this end of the age. I'm going to demonstrate my glory through the plus plus. Glorify thou me so that I might glorify thou you. Paul says it. Oh, man, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, it's actually better for you that I remain. But don't take these words lightly because I'm. Huh? To finally realize, have total recall, you're the son and daughter of the Lord. I'm experiencing this. 
is like heaven. And why would you ever want to do anything else? But we need this message. The end time, end time, we need this message because the Lord's going to do this on a global scale to the bride and make her without spot or wrinkle because of this message. I went from 1 Corinthians 15 there and I went to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Hear me, hear me. And before that, 12. And therefore, since we have had such a hope, let us behave with great boldness. And not like Moses. I mean, who put this in a text? I mean, Paul. Come on now. Moses is pretty amazing. He said, don't behave like Moses. Who used to put a veil over his face. Uh, Jamie McManus says, I don't know, is it okay to say that I'm magnificent? I feel kind of weird saying that. Don't put a veil over your face, Jamie McManus. Don't cover up with shame anymore. Hey, sons and daughters, let's come out with who he is in you. It's time for him to come out. It's time for him to be seen. Don't cover over it. When we started choir, I was like, what do I do? He said, just go up there and, and act like you're in your um, uh, prayer room. I said, okay. I get into some dance sometimes if I get along with the Lord. But he's like, do it on the stage. All right. I don't want to do that. He's like, it's a veil. It's a, it's the peeling up a veil. Let's take the veil off. Why? Why? Look at this. He says, he was doing it to keep the Israelites from staring at him. <laughs> Quit looking at me. Anybody else know what I mean? The one thing the Lord wants to do in this room, you at him or wherever you're at, is that, you know, is there going to look at me? So I'm going to shut down this light. Going back into every day, I gotta shut this guy down and this gal down. Lord said, no, stop doing that. Let the light break out. I can't dance on the street. Well, who says you can't dance on the street? I, you know, I, I can't do this at work. Who says? Stop putting a veil over you. Why? Because they're staring because of the glory. I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, uh, that was made ineffective. Why? Because the veil was making ineffective. Their minds were closed, and to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read. It has not been removed because only in Christ can it be taken away. Listen. But until this very day, whenever Moses is read a veil, he says it again, is over their mind. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now stand with me. Now the Lord is spirit. 
He is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is full freedom. And we all with unveiled faces take the veil off. That's what He's been doing with us. And people, most people do not want to do this. They don't want to take the veil off. But the Lord in this hour, we got to say, Lord, unveil. Go ahead and unveil. It's like I don't feel, I feel reflected upon. I feel the consciousness of somebody else looking at me. I feel myself looking at myself. He said, take the veil off. Why? To reflect the glory of the Lord. And as Tom said, this is the place of transfiguration. What does it say? And are being transformed. If you want transformation, you must agree with the Lord to remove the veil of the consciousness of sin, the self-reflection. You must say, take me out of my own self-reflection and let your life reflect through me. Now I'm tired of being reflecting because I'm worried that they're going to look at me. You see, somebody's watching me. Somebody sees a way. I really want to cut a rug right now. But what are they going to think? What's someone else going to think when they reflect upon me? Yeah, but my finances are telling me something. My health is telling me something. The Lord says, look at me. Remove the veil. On the other side of this veil, he has a body. A glorified body prepared for you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. <laughs> Gives a whole different idea of mansion. I got to prepare a place for a person. I got to prepare a body for you. Preparing a place where you can come in and dwell, I dwell in you. Every time you say to the Lord, I'm going to take the veil off right now, there's a transformation there for you every time. There's a transfiguration there for you. It's what the text says. This isn't Carol Moffat speaking. Yes, I'm speaking. But I'm only reading you what God's Word says. I'm not going beyond the Word of God. I'm not doing some kind of weird show up here, weird thing. I'm reading you the text from Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this for us. And be transformed what, into the same what? Image. One degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit of God. When you think about I am and you and who you are, listen. What does I am and you look like? Are you hedging and holding back? Are you letting them fail? Be over your mind because you're concerned about your own perspective or someone else's? Or are you looking at him? Have you got into acceptance like I have so many times and say, I just got to accept this person or been arrogant because I'm just so amazing and my man of the dust cell? Have you been looking in a mirror and say, how can this be? Or watching your health or your finances and saying, this can't be true. God would say to you, take the veil off. Take the veil off first. For faith is the title need hope for. It's the objective proof of an unseen reality. It's the substance 
that's coming that's not yet. Listen, God only works this way. He says, remove the veil and let me behold you I use you behold me. And from glory to glory, you're transformed like that. No, people say, give me a sign and then I'll believe it. God says, not going to do it. Because I want you to look at me. And you'll be transformed while you behold me. You'll become like me. Every single person in this room, if you've ever been reflected upon by image or someone's beat you down and told you you don't amount to anything or anything like that, it's why we wanted to hold that veil close. There's so much things that have tried to cloud us. The Lord just wants you to trust Him just to lift it up. But like Tom said, it can feel like it hurts a little bit or a lot because you're like, oh my goodness. It's a trust issue, ladies and gentlemen. It's a trust. It's in every time we engage in this worship, all you're doing is saying, oh man, I trust you. Again, just lift it up and trust it. And be transfigured. I'm not just born man of the flesh as an English Scotsman. If I, if I am, then me and Tom, the Irishman over there, might not be able to get along very well. But we love each other. Because they like those daggum Scott English come and took our lands and imposed their monarchy on us. I can't like Carol because he comes from that bloodline. I'm an Irishman. I'm a fighting Irishman. You see what I mean? All racism, all immorality, everything's related to you. Not want to take the bell off. All global issues that we're watching being dealt with all over the world right now is because people don't really want to just say, I just want to behold you and worship Lord. And then all the idolatry begins to wash out, and all the adultery, and all the problems begin to be cleansed as human soul comes to the place of real cleansing.
tells me that you trust him. And I, and I want you to be confident in that. He does too, that you're trusting him. And everything's okay. Actually, everything's more than okay. It's okay. And you can say this morning, it is well with my soul. You can say this. You can believe this. You can say everything, Father, that is mine is yours. And everything, Father, that you have is mine. May the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give peace to you. Amen. Bless you today.